You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and with me as always is Christopher Parr, director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hi, Chris. Hello. Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week, and he's going to share them with us today. So, Chris, I'm completely and utterly bored of being locked down in my house now. Um, How about you? What's the Institute been up to? Well, maybe I can amuse you with something we found out about the papal porno we spoke about the other week. Oh, yes. This is the, uh, was it um, Peruvian? Ecuadorian. Ecuadorian, yeah. Ecuadorian people who gave the Pope their wonderful gift of pornography. Of papal pounding. Yes. (laughs) So what have you found out? Well, it turns out that papal pounding was uh, released to the Ecuadorian public for their viewing pleasure and was quite popular and actually inspired an entire genre, I suppose, of ecclesiastically inspired porn that runs the whole gamut of the church hierarchy. Wow. Okay. So this is, well, it's become its own genre then, basically. Yeah, there's a number of titles, things like Forgive Me Father, Fuck Me Father. Beautiful. The double feature Deacon Dick and (laughs) Cardinal Cock. (laughs) Boning the Bishop, and its sequel, Archbishop Anal Adventures. <laughs> wow. So in, in your research for this, have you, uh, have you managed to watch any of them? You know what? I don't really know if I want to. I mean, given that it's all, it's all Catholicly inspired, I'm not sure who the participants will be and, you know, what the, the age of the participants will be. Right, I see. I, I sort of see what you're saying here. Let's move on. Yeah, let's definitely move on. (laughs) So that brings us on to our first fact of the show. Chris, what's this one? Germany has a urine festival. Okay, so obviously this sounds made up until you realise that weird festivals exist in small towns across the world. Even here in the UK, we have the Gloucestershire Cheese Rolling Festival. There's also the Wife Carrying Festival, the Baby Jumping Festival, the Baby Throwing Festival, the Monkey Feeding Festival, the Monkey Eating Festival, the Big International Love-In Festival, the Big International Muffin Festival, and of course the Festival of Come, a celebration for Latin-speaking fans of all things incorporating more than one thing. What's the uh, Urine Festival though, Chris? So the town of Gertraud in Germany hosts the annual Urine Fest in which the town celebrates all things urine, wee, pee, piddle, whiz and piss. I'm fairly sure those are all just wee-wee, aren't they? This is a very specific festival, isn't it? Is it just about piss? It's just piss. All piss, all the time at Gertrude's Urine Fest. In fact, that's their um, slogan. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Please tell me there's a pissing contest. So as well as displaying art both inspired by and made of urine, Urinefest also features various urine-based games, quite literally pissing matches. Brilliant. That that sounds great. (laughs) So a festival attendees can compete in contests of duration, of distance, and of accuracy. And due to variations in plumbing, there are separate games for people with penises and people with vaginas. So it's all-inclusive. 
That sounds great. I mean, it's a very responsible, very exciting sounding festival. That that sounds like a lot of fun. So paint a picture for us, Chris. What sort of refreshments are available at Eurinfest? Well, being Germany, there's a great deal of beer. There's uh, soft drinks for the kids. Water is provided, obviously. But owners of all types of genitalia can take part in Eurinfest's main attraction, the Urine Drinking Contest. Urine Drinking Contest? Urine Drinking Contest. Urine drinking. No, urine drinking contest. No, urine drinking contest. <laughs> so what? So wait, there are participants in Urinefest who are drinking their own wee. Isn't that dangerous, Chris? It's supposed to come out of your body. It's not supposed to go in it. Well, I mean, dangerous or not, uh, competitors have 50 minutes to drink as much urine as they can. And the rules include uh, no vomiting, minimal spillage and no swillback. Oh, God. Swill back. Pissy swill back. Wonderful. So these people are drinking wee for a sport, essentially. How do they... Because I can't pee. I can't wee on command, Chris. How do you <laughs> How do you manage to... You go to this thing and you're like, even if I drank a load of water, I'd be like, do you know what? I can't go now. You're all watching. <laughs> so I'd ne- I, would, I would fail at the, literally the first hurdle of weeing. I wouldn't even get to the drinking point. Thank God. Well, luckily for you, Piper, you would have no problem competing in the, the urine drinking contest. Oh, thank you. <laughs> because in the interests of fairness, the urine drank in the urine drinking contest is taken from a, a big vat in which all the urine of all the residents of Gertrude is all mixed together. Right. So it's sort of like, here's one I made earlier. Here's your dirty pint. Here's your giant vat of piss. Wonderful. Competitors used to drink their own urine, but there were scandals concerning cheating with people bringing coloured water or, or apple juice. So now everyone has to drink from the big communal piss fat. I mean, it sounds logical. It sounds like that makes a lot of sense to make sure that the game can continue. But I mean, it's bad enough having to drink piss. But if it's someone else's piss, I feel like that's worse somehow. Especially if it's pre-prepared. It's not even going to be warm. Actually, I don't know if I'd want it to be warm. Would you prefer it to be warm or cold, Chris, if you were drinking someone else's piss? Oh, that's a really good question, Piper. Um, I feel like, you know what, I feel like if it's warm, then it might be fresh because, you know, it comes out warm. But having said that, if it's cold, it might have been like refrigerated and that makes it sound better to drink in a way. A nice ice cold, refreshing glass of piss. It's like thinking about drinking like a cold glass of Coke or a, a warm glass of Coke. It is just like that, actually, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's arguments for both drinking warm piss and cold piss, Piper. Okay, well, I'm glad we've touched on that. <laughs> <laughs> We're tackling the big issues here on Chicken's Cartsy Cubes. Yes, this is all very valuable information for everyone who's listening to this podcast. So uh, aside from drinking piss, are there, are there any other highlights for the uh, Urinefest? Well, everybody loves the Urinefest mascot, Hans der Harnblasser, or Hans the Bladder. Right. Wait, bladder, as in, as in the organ that contains your piss. Oh, I see what you've done. Oh, cool. Okay. So this is what? It's a giant bladder. Yeah, um, Hans is a jolly anthropomorphic bladder in lederhosen and an alpine hat. Wow. I've got to be honest, Chris, that sounds fucking terrifying. 
Well, I mean, unfortunately for you then, his image can be seen adorning posters, banners, bunting, and of course, the big communal piss vat. Oh, okay. So it's not an actual like person in a costume sort of mascot. This is like stickers and stuff and the main face of the festival. Oh, in recent years, um, Hans has been turned into a costumed character. The costume Hans the Bladder graces Urenfest. Uh, he can be seen walking around the festival, posing for photos and terrifying small children. That would terrify me, to be honest. I once actually wet myself. Cool story, Piper. Let's move on. <laughs> Speaking of urine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I once met a giant fireman Sam. And it was a man in a costume, obviously, but like it was really scary. Horrible. I think mascots should be banned in general, not to mention giant human organs. I think that's a whole level of terrifying. All right, Chris, listen, let's get back on track because I don't want to think about this anymore. So Urinefest, this festival of piss in Germany, how did it start? Well, it's thought that Urinefest has its origin in local legend. There's an old story told in Gertraud about the time the village was almost destroyed. Some point in the, the history times, a army passing through on the way to some war or other, pillaged the town and set fire to most of the buildings. And legend has it that the townspeople saved their homes from burning to the ground by collectively weeing on all the fires. Whether true or not, it became a yearly tradition in Gertraud to wee on a big bonfire. And this eventually turned into the full-blown Erwinfest with pissing matches and drinking contests. And giant terrifying bladders. And giant terrifying bladders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not okay, still not okay. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. So it kind of makes sense in, in context that they'd have a penchant for piss. Piss save the village or piss save the town. I guess that technically makes sense that they'd have piss drinking contests. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> well, that's, that's really, really fascinating. I'm sure it's a lot of fun. I, I did a little bit of Googling while you were talking, and I was definitely listening. Despite me thinking that it's really gross to drink your own urine, there's a, a large school of people that think that, not actual school, not that not like there's one school of people that... The piss-drinking school in Gertrau, Germany. <laughs> Nine out of ten piss-drinking champions have graduated from there. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, a lot of people subscribe to the idea that your own urine is actually good for you even though it's something that your body expels. I guess what I'm asking, Chris, have you, have you ever drunk your own piss? Only for academic purposes. What, <laughs> what sort of academic purposes would they be? Curiosity, research, funding applications. You'd be surprised at the kind of stuff they make you do for research grants. Yes, I suppose so. <laughs> Chris, this research grant, is this just a bunch of people down the pub that said, oh, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of quid if you drink your own piss? So moving on, Piper, <laughs> um, I suppose I should point out that drinking your own urine or anybody else's isn't actually that good for you. We contains all the toxins and waste products that your body doesn't want. And if you drink it, it just puts those back in and builds up their amount in your kidneys and whatnot. So if any of our listeners do have their hearts set on drinking their own pee, Please, only do so under adult supervision. And remember, 
Drink responsibly. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. (laughs) (laughs) So beyond this Wee Wee Festival in Germany, are there any other examples of strange town festivals the Institute's aware of? Well, Urinfest, with its pissing matches and urine drinking contest, is indicative of uh, a number of festivals around the world uh, celebrating various bodily secretions. So, for example, in Cambodia, there is a vomit festival. Lovely. In Norway, there is a semen festival. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't think you'd managed to get any worse than, <laughs> than, than piss festivals, but you've already surpassed that. Fine. Okay. This world is terrible, Chris. Well, the less said about the Peruvian feces festival, the better. (laughs) Hold on, Piper, sorry. There's something I forgot to mention about the urine festival. Attendance for the urine festival is mandatory for residents of Gertrude. And non-attendance is punishable by law. Because if you don't attend a urine festival, then you're in trouble. I hate you. Okay, moving on to our second fact of the show. What have we got here, Chris? Birds in and around Memphis, Tennessee, incorporate Elvis hits into their bird song. Okay, so there are a lot of birds around the world who tend to mimic the sounds they hear around them. This has led to interesting phenomena such as American mockingbirds almost morbidly mimicking the sound of chainsaws made by the logging companies who would eventually destroy their homes. Parrots mimicking the words and phrases they hear and some even writing avant-garde novels. And once a North American brown thrasher bird helped solve a murder as it mimicked the ringtone used by a serial killer helping FBI agents find the bodies in the parts of the forest where they sang. All fascinating stuff. But this is really interesting, Chris. Birds singing Elvis. How come? So Memphis, Tennessee is famous for, among other things, its close association with Elvis Presley. A Sun studio where the king recorded his first record is in Memphis, as is Presley's former home, Graceland, which attracts over half a million visitors a year. It's unsurprising then that Elvis songs can be heard all throughout the city and the surrounding area at all times of the day and night. In fact, Presley's music is so ubiquitous that the birds have begun to imitate the melodies in their bird song, a lot like the birds you mentioned in your your introduction. Yeah, so this is essentially a similar sort of thing. But these these aren't just mimicking birds, like specific species that tend to mimic things. They're incorporating it into their natural bird song, like the melodies themselves. That's really fascinating. So those species of birds around Memphis, they hear so much Elvis, they actually sing the melodies of his hits. Yeah, the phenomenon was first noted in the 1990s. And it was initially thought that it was basically random which birds sang which Elvis songs, just, you know, whichever song the bird had most recently heard. Research, though, has found that different species of birds prefer different tempos or even periods of the king's career. Well, wait, so there's obviously there's lots of different species of birds around Memphis and basically dependent on the species of bird, they actually have a preference to the sort of Elvis songs they obviously enjoy enough to sing. So which which songs do different birds prefer, Chris? So cuckoos uh, prefer Elvis's simpler early compositions like Jailhouse Rock, A Hound Dog, Blue Suede Shoes. Nightingales have a predilection for Presley's ballads like Always On My Mind, Falling In Love With You, 
in the ghetto, that kind of thing. Robins have a, a penchant for the King's more complex songs, songs like A Little Less Conversation, You're the Devil in Disguise, and the absolute banger, Suspicious Mind. Ah, oh, yeah. Robins, you see, they know what they're doing. Rockin' Robins, man. They know, they know exactly what they're doing. I love Suspicious Minds. I think it's a great track. It is, a, as you say, so rightly put it, it is a, it is a banger. So have Elvis Presley's family or, or anyone associated with him that's still alive, have they spoken out about this at all? Because it's a really beautiful thing that his music's being kept alive, not only by the human race, but by the animal kingdom. I mean, that's so lovely. I mean, to have his memory live on through birdsong, it's a really nice thing. Well, Presley's estate don't seem to think so. Because no birds or any representatives of the birds have sought permission to sing Elvis's songs in public. The Presley estate has hired a crack team of lawyers to work out if Memphis's avian population is in breach of copyright. And if so, can the Presley estate sue literally thousands of birds? What, so you're saying that the Presley estate, their reaction to a natural phenomenon is, no, that's not right, I'm gonna, (laughs) I'll have them, that's illegal. Well, I mean, we exploit every other aspect of the natural world. Meat, resources, labour. So might as well get them for copyright law as well. Oh, I tell you what, Chris, as a species, we're not terribly good to the animal kingdom, are we? No, no, we're not. We're either turning them into massive burgers we abandon the Lake District, or we're suing them for breach of copyright. Yeah, fuck them. So aside from birds, are there any other creatures that have picked up on... Elvis-related habits. Yeah, so Memphis raccoons have been known to scavenge together their own fooled gold loaves out of garbage. Their own what? Fooled gold loaves. For those who don't know, including you, Piper, the fooled gold loaf was one of Elvis's favourite foods. It's a loaf of bread hollowed out and filled with peanut butter, jam, or jelly for our American listeners, and bacon. I'd have that. I'd have that. It sounds great. Well, the raccoons in Memphis have been scavenging, like, discarded bread, throwing out bacon, and scooping the last bits of peanut butter and jam out of jars, and assembling their own fool's gold loaves. So if I was if I was to go to Memphis, and I, I was to meet a raccoon, there's every chance they might be sitting there eating Elvis's favourite dish. I don't know how you'd meet a raccoon. I mean, just like wandering around Memphis. I'm very personable. Oh, and the raccoons will will sense this. Think there's the personable person. Let's go offer him some fool's gold loaf. Well, they might. I'd have it. If a raccoon came up to me and was like, is that Piper? No, they wouldn't know my name, obviously. They're, they're not that... <laughs> I'm famous in the raccoon kingdom. <laughs> is that the Messiah? We're saved. <laughs> I no. If, if what was I saying? No. If if a, if if a raccoon came up to me, knowing that I'm lovely generally and will provide a healthy conversation, and 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 I saw them eating this fool's gold loaf, I, I'd be like, oh, can I, can I? Because you know, it's about the sort of tourist experience. If you're going to Memphis, you don't want to just go to Memphis and go see Graceland. And I mean, that's fine. Obviously, you'll do that. But there's that part of you that wants to get the real experience, you know, the real after dark background Memphis experience in the back of the alleys of like what goes on behind the scenes. And actually, if that really is, like you say, raccoons making 
Elvis's favourite dish, then I'll have a bit. If they want to offer me it, I'll I'll try it. So that's are there any others? Yeah, a species of butterfly endemic to the area has evolved a white sequined pattern on its wings so that it can hide from predators by alighting on any of the city's many Elvis impersonators. Oh, what, like chameleons? They're, so they're what, they're dressing up as Elvis impersonators so that they can blend in? No, they're not dressing up as an Elvis impersonators. There aren't, there aren't butterflies flying around with quiffs going, thank you very much. <laughs> but they have... Patterns on their wings similar to the famous Elvis costume, the white sequined jumpsuit that he wore. So they can land on those impersonators and birds won't see them. Okay. But these birds are very sort of tuned into the whole Elvis thing, aren't they? So they'll they'll be like, that's there's something off about that Elvis impersonator, because they're well into Elvis music as we've established. They're basically fans. They're gonna be like, hang on. There's something not quite right about that because it's not going to blend in perfectly, is it? It's not going to be exactly the right shade of white, it, exactly the right angle not to create any shadow. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a butterfly on a person. It doesn't matter if it's the same colour. So if you're a bird and you're looking for food, you don't have time to examine every single Elvis impersonator looking for butterflies. I guess, I guess yes, that, yeah, yeah, that is true, yeah. Right, especially if you've got chicks at home who you need to be getting back to. You need to be finding the obvious butterflies as opposed to, you know, scrutinising every single Elvis impersonator you come along to. The other thing is, if you're a bird and you happen to have spotted a camouflaged butterfly on an Elvis impersonator, if you go flying at an Elvis impersonator, he's going to just swat you off and you won't get the butterfly then. But, like, really, all they need to do is just sit on the Elvis impersonator and they'll be protected within their their defensive sphere because they can just swap the birds away for them. Because, like you say, that's what they do. So they don't really need to disguise themselves at all, just sit there. But if you're an Elvis impersonator and a normal butterfly lands on you, you'll be like, fuck off, butterfly, you're cramping my style. Oh, right. So you're suggesting that if it was a butterfly that was colour coordinated with you, me as an Elvis impersonator would just be like, hello, mate, same coat. So going back to briefly to the, the Elvis estate and the lawsuit and things, Chris, has a large scale lawsuit ever been attempted on the animal kingdom before? Well, they weren't large scale, but uh, last week we talked about the duck who was found guilty of burglary and executed. Oh, yeah, that duck that stole stuff. Yeah, well, probably didn't. Yeah. And the monkey who was found guilty of teaching evolution to school children. Yes, the wanker. But on a larger scale, there's a man who claims to have been pooed on every day for the last 10 years by birds who tried unsuccessfully to get a restraining order against every bird in the world. Another man tried to sue spiders. What, all spiders? all spiders, spiders in general, because uh, despite repeated attempts, he is not yet Spider-Man. All right, well, um, let's just ask the important questions here, Chris. Does the Institute have any opinion on whether Elvis is dead or alive, Chris? It's a good question. We can't know for sure. According to the controversial documentary, Baba Hotep, Elvis faked his own death, is still alive, 
and is spending the remainder of his life in an old folks' home fighting supernatural threats with John F. Kennedy. Perfectly plausible, yeah. Of course, if you were to speak to the residents of Valerie, Arizona, they might tell you that he is alive, he lives in space, and he abducts you sometimes. Yes, of course, yeah. But um, based on our conversation today, is it possible that Elvis was reincarnated as a butterfly? A butterfly with a quiff hanging out with raccoons in an alleyway in Memphis. I mean, it's entirely possible. Okay, let's move on to our third fact of the show. What have we got here, Chris? An Australian man does not hold the world record for the largest number of failed world records. Wait, does not hold the world? Does not hold. Well, surely there are probably a few people that don't hold that world record. I don't, I don't hold that world record either. Well, there's a story behind this one, Piper. There's a story behind it. Well, why don't you tell us the story, Chris? So a 63-year-old Barry Donoghue is something of a Guinness World Records fanatic and has spent most of his life chasing his dream of achieving at least one world record. But despite trying for almost 50 years, he has consistently failed to achieve any world records. Eventually, in 2014, Donahue realised that there was one record that he might be able to achieve, and that was the world record for the most failed world record attempts. So he picked up the phone, called Guinness, realised he called a brewery, put the phone down, picked it up again, and called Guinness World Records. Okay, so so he realised he could turn his multiple failures into one big win. Yeah, so obviously Guinness had to corroborate Donahue's claim, totalling up his failed attempts, which at the time numbered 813, and ensuring that no one else had the same or more. Unfortunately... Guinness discovered that a man on the other side of the world, an American named Ronald Applebaum, had 814 failed world records, but had never thought to go for the record of most failed records. Wait, how, how many did Donahue have? 813. And how many did the guy in America have? 814. So Guinness had to award the world record for most failed world records to Applebaum. And so as you can see from that story, an Australian man does not hold the world record for the largest number of failed world records. That is true, Chris. That is true. I think I understand. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to this day, Donahue continues trying to achieve any world record. But having been galvanised by his shock award... Applebaum has been thwarting the Australian at every turn because after all he just needs to keep pace with Donahue now to maintain his his single record. Okay, so every time Applebaum manages to achieve a world record or no, fails at a world record. What are we going with here? <laughs> Fucking here. This is this is quite a complicated fact. So basically every time Donahue fails a record 
all Applebaum needs to do is fail a record and that way he can stay ahead and keep his record. Okay, so so at the moment, he's just trying to beat his competitor at being terrible at world records. However, I'm guessing if he actually achieved a world record, he'd solve his overarching super objective of trying to actually achieve a world record. Yes, but I mean, 50 years has shown that he probably isn't going to get any actual, you know, normal records. I mean, if it hasn't happened in 50 years, it's probably not going to happen. So he's been doing it for 50 years. Have we got any examples of the records that he's actually tried to achieve? Yeah, so he's tried his hand at the normal stuff, stuff to do with running, jumping, swimming, that kind of thing. Some of the more interesting ones, he tried to break the world record for the amount of urine drank in 15 minutes, but couldn't match the current record holder from the German town of Gertraud. He went for the biggest blanket fort, but was uh, beaten by a pair of community college students and best friends. He thought he could get the record for the largest collection of Minions merchandise but was beaten by a Canadian woman who had gotten hold of rare but bizarrely officially licensed Minions porn. And he almost achieved the world record for the longest running animated sitcom by episodes. But his show, The Crumpleys, was cancelled after 683 episodes, failing to surpass The Simpsons. So... Chris, we're talking about world records here. I've got to ask, has the Institute ever achieved one? The Institute holds the world record for the most facts packed into a regulation cardboard box. What's a regulation cardboard box? Are there regulations for cardboard boxes? Have I been doing cardboard boxes wrong? When it comes to official cardboard box things, there's a a regulation. It's like regulation-sized swimming pools. If you're doing, you know, sport in a swimming pool, it has to be a a certain size. And if you're doing, you know, official things in cardboard boxes, they need to be a certain size. Official things in cardboard boxes. Yeah, okay, I understand now. Okay, all right. So so you've achieved the world record for the most number of facts stuffed into a... What's your filing system like? Jesus. Did Did you achieve it accidentally? No, we did this on purpose. It's actually very difficult to pack facts into boxes because they're all they're all different shapes and sizes. And sometimes they can change shape and size. And you have to be careful not to put them too close together because two facts can merge into one fact. But are you going to ask me how many we got in there, though? Well, no, I don't want to know. It's weird. <laughs> Fine, then. I won't tell you <laughs> how many facts we packed into a regulation cardboard box. <laughs> Okay, all right, I'll bite. Right, listen, Chris, come on, tell me. It, it, if, so so you, you managed to achieve the world record for the most number of facts packed into a regulation cardboard box. How many facts would that account to? Uh, 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 account to? Accrue to? How many facts, Chris? It's too late now, I don't want to tell you. Oh. Fine. I'll get, can I guess? Can I guess? Can I do a warm cold thing? Did you tell you what? You've got three guesses, and if you don't get it, I'll tell you. All right. 18. No. 1,500. Way off. 
Batman symbol. Despite repeated attempts by myself and several other fans, uh, the Batman symbol is not recognised as a numerical symbol. All right, well, I give up then. It was 17. <laughs> Wait, define a fact. Is that is that just... Well, a fact is a statement about the world that is true. No, no. come on. You fucking know what I mean. <laughs> no, Piper, you asked me to define a fact, so I did. I guess I did. Um, <laughs> no, so so you managed to fit 17 facts into a cardboard box and you won a fucking award for the most number of facts crammed into a cardboard box. Like I told you, it's, it's, it's hard to get them in there without them because if you put them too tightly they'll merge into a lesser number of facts all right well is this just a piece of paper with the facts on or is this all the research that goes with it no it's the fact it's the fact in its entirety what the metaphysical concept of the fact exactly yeah that's why it's hard to get in there well, if you'd have told me that to start with. I thought it was obvious. Because why would I be talking about just putting bits of paper into a box? You fit loads of paper in a box. Well, can we end this? Okay, well, good. That brings us on to our fourth and final fact of the show. Thank God. What's this one, Chris? David Icke has been banned from London Zoo's Reptile House. Cool. Well, okay. Former footballer David Icke is famous for being a footballer and also a potential crazy person. This often turquoise-wearing footballer believes that he's on a mission from God to tell us the truth about the world's elite. So I suspect he's probably banned from a fair few places, Chris. Yes. So as you say, David Icke, former football pundit and professional madman, is best known for his bizarre conspiracy theories in which climate change is a hoax, the moon is a spacecraft beaming messages into our brains, and most famously, many world leaders and celebrities are actually members of a race of reptilians from another dimension. Another dimension? Another dimension. Pay close attention. Yeah, I've heard about this. I mean, doesn't he think the royal family are shapeshifters who are also reptiles? They're reptilians who pose as humans, apparently. I remember I saw it on the news. He said the Queen Mother is seriously reptilian as opposed to just ordinarily reptilian. Casually reptilian, like on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, for whatever reason, Ike believes that the reptile house at London Zoo is being used by some of these reptilians as a sort of holiday home where they can relax and take a break from the the hard work of ushering in the new world order while being gawked at by London tourists. Okay, so the world's elite are holidaying in London Zoo because they're lizards. And he's not allowed in London Zoo's reptile house because, what, because they're worried he'll find out it's true? Well, no, I mean, so... He started off by frequently making a nuisance of himself at the zoo. He would loudly lecture visitors on Archons, the Rothschilds, the Saturn Moon Matrix, all that kind of stuff. And he'd insult the reptiles through the glass, calling them fascists and pedos and idiots. Yeah, okay, yeah, and reptile world leaders don't like being insulted, do they? So that's what got him banned, isn't it? No. 
<laughs> what got him banned was when he smashed the glass of an enclosure in an attempt to assassinate an iguana he believed to be David Cameron on his holidays. Wait, so did he believe he knew which world leaders each of the reptiles in London Zoo was then? Right, Chris, if I was going to go to London Zoo, who am I going to meet? <laughs> well, according to Ike, he believes various former US presidents, Jimmy Carter and uh, George W. Bush, have stayed at London Zoo Reptile House. He also believes that a few uh, British prime ministers have stayed there, including Tony Blair and Theresa May. Ike claims that you can tell it's May because of the little dance that it does. He also believes that the Spice Girls spend their holidays at the Reptile House. All the Spice Girls. He also believes that the cast of the 90s puppet-based sitcom Dinosaurs, which Ike believes was a, a live-action series, Holiday at the Reptile House. That was a good series, though. It was good. I really enjoyed it, to be honest. And if it did find out that it was real and it was all a genuinely real family living in London Zoo... I'd accept it because I want it to be true, which probably says a lot about me and my blatant acceptance of all conspiracy theories because they're fun. All right, listen, Chris, Chris, he's still with me. Hello. In a previous episode, we spoke about recently un uncovered level of uh, Scientology in which high paying members can learn how to shapeshift. Scientologists are quite high up in the echelons of society. Would we find one or two mingling with the other lizard leaders in London Zoo? If... We accept that high-level Scientologists can transform into animals. I don't think they would be mingling with the reptilians. They are from entirely different made-up theologies. So I don't think they'd get along. I mean, you know, Archons are reptilian beings from another dimension. Phaetons are the souls of people from billions of years ago who were placed on volcanoes and had nukes dropped on them. It's apples and oranges. Apples and oranges? What have apples and oranges got to do with this? Well, they're different things. They are different things, Chris. They're nothing related to what we're talking about, you fucking weirdo. Anyway, listen, David Icke famously speaks at length on his theories. A lot, a lot. He talks a lot, doesn't he, Chris? He talks a hell of a lot. I don't know if you've ever looked on his blog or his vlog or his Twitter or his youtube channel or his facebook or his instagram or his snapchat or his only fans or his only fans <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh, i wish you hadn't said that um, <laughs> basically he talks a lot he does he really fucking does i mean i'm sure he's talked about this publicly can we hear what david ike has to say on the matter well i'm not sure what he said in his his official public engagements but during our research for this fact, we came across a transcript of one of Ike's Reptile House rants, taken from a camera phone video that was lost during a MySpace server migration. So apparently this was delivered to a group of children on a school trip. Okay. So these are David Ike's words. See that? That's not a Philippine crocodile. That's former US president and fascist pedo idiot Bill Clinton on his holidays here at London Zoo Reptile House. Wake up, sheeple. The moon is beaming messages into your brain. Messages engineered by fascist pedo idiots like this crocodile who is really Bill Clinton in disguise. 
He's from another dimension, not Arkansas, like he says. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. And then he just shouts, open your eyes for five minutes before leaving the reptile house to have a, a lie down on the bench near the lemurs. Stunning. I mean, he, he really is essentially a prophet of our times, isn't he, Chris? Yes, say nothing. Okay, that's it. You've been listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes with me, Piper Dawes. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. I can be found on Twitter at Trilby Norton and the Institute can be found at Muin Photo Ray Ray, which is obviously M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. And you can contact the podcast on Twitter at C-Cubes. That's S-W-E-C-U-B-E-S. And Facebook and Instagram at Chickens Can't See Cubes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Chickens Can't See Cubes. And remember, you probably could make it up, but we haven't. Honest. And we'll catch you once again on next week's show. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, 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 bye. I mean, I'm sure it's great for the Germans. I'm sure they love it, but I would be not too excited to meet Hans the Bladder in a festival. Oh, but he really wants to meet you, Piper. Don't say that. Don't say that. You better not know my name. Well, have I got a surprise for you, Piper, because guess who's joining <laughs> us? <laughs> oh, I actually started, my heart started racing a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't like that. <laughs> you are joking, aren't you? Please tell me you're joking. You can't see this, but I'm looking at the, the, the door that's behind me. <laughs> I've given him your address and said, no. <laughs> You're in Graham. <laughs> <laughs>